Non-rock-a-boatus must stop. I don't want to rock the boat. I want to sink it. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy, or are you going to bite? Delusional is okay in your worldview. I'm an animal. You don't chastise chickens for being delusional. You don't chastise pigs for being delusional. So you calling me delusional using your worldview is perfectly okay. It doesn't really hurt. <laughs> she hung up on me. Yeah! Oh! <laughs> what? What? Desperate times call for faithful men and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Go into all the world and make disciples. Not go into the world and make buddies. Not to make brosives. Right. Don't go into the world and make homies. Right. Disciples. I got, I got a bit of a jiggle neck. <laughs> That's a joke, Pastor. When we have the real message of truth, we cannot let somebody say they're speaking truth when no. they're not. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What's up, y'all? Apologia Radio. You gets us at ApologiaRadio.com. I'm just, you know, I'm trying to keep it real, y'all. That's all it is. That's where you gets us on them internets. Yeah. I don't even know why you're laughing, Joy. I'm laughing because you you're, know how you're how so... You I'm laughing because you're so cool. No, I know. <laughs> I know. We got a white raptor on the show today, yeah. and all of a sudden you're talking... Like you're a white raptor? No, this is how I do, baby boo. <laughs> Rap, rapping like a rhinoceros. You know, Luke, this is how I, this is, this, I gotta do me. Do you, Jeff. <laughs> do you, Jeff. You gotta do you. Hey, so that's Joy the Girl, that's Luke the Bear. Nostradamus up, is here again. Nostradamus. Me and my... Before you wreck yourself. And in the back on the ones and twos, King Ginger. Hey. I, hey, I like your name, dude. That's why you call it, because you're the king of gingers. I like that name, too. <laughs> I love it. So it's it staying. happened. You know what I love about it is it happened so naturally. Yes. We were trying literally. to figure out a name, and we it were just trying. It literally happened naturally. We were just, tra- yeah, literally, that's where it came from on his head uh, and his beard. I just um, think all producers should be called king. Yeah, yeah. Like that should just be the name. You know, it's it's a fun thing. I think that I'm uh, Jesus What's should be called music, king. dude? Oh... <laughs> <laughs> All right, what'd you say? I'm just mesmerized by this. Joy just pulled out some Jesus juke. Back. Yeah. I just juke, I, I guess. I said that I think Jesus should be called king. <laughs> well played. He is. That's what Revelation just said. Uh, are are the, we Are we both kings, priests? And, I don't think you should start this. <laughs> <laughs> I think there we are. Okay. What, is, what is up with this music? It sounds like this should be... Just give it a second. Th- no, this, this should, this should wait, be playing whoa. in some sweat lodge wait, in Sedona while you're meditating. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out why that was an argument. What? He said, don't start the argument. Well, hey, look, he's, he's there, still juking. He's getting <laughs> just, no. Is there contention about that statement <laughs> no, I just said I, that I need to know about? No. Okay, oh. well, I'm not going to. Okay, said, we're not, not going to start that it. argument. Okay. No, I, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, I don't know. What's what's up? We got a cool show ready for today. We're going to talk about uh, Christian hip-hop, Jesus, Messiah. Hip-harping. 
Where'd that come from? We said that one, one I point. I remember. Why I think he may have accidentally said it one time. Somewhere in one of the back episodes. Yeah. Somewhere like a hundred deep. There's a reference to hip harping. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Yeah. And we probably talked about it for about six episodes. Yeah. Which is when it. you, that's when you rap about harp seals. Yes. <laughs> you know, I didn't see in Hawaii. Any monk any seals. Any monk seals, which was oh, disappointing. We, we did. I was hoping I would see And then we realized there were a bunch of big turtles. A bunch of big turtles. We saw a lot of turtles. Hmm? We did. We saw some turtles. We were in, uh, what's that called? A blowhole? I don't know what's that called. What? We were definitely you were, not in a blowhole. We were inside of the top of a <laughs> whale. We were in this giant whale. <laughs> and I was picturing what Jonah went through. What's it called? What, 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 Queen's what, what, Bath? Queen's Bath, right. But yeah. what, is there a name for that natural thing? Like where the it's a, hole it's where a the big water hole collects. and then the kind of ca- like thing and the water flows in and like you can the jump and swim in it. Tide like comes a in. cove. There, it's sort of, but there sort are of. fish. Tidal hole. It took me forever to get my daughter to get in because she was afraid of the <laughs> yeah, fish touching her. <laughs> yeah, it took forever. Uh, it was a pretty dangerous little trek on the way down uh, too. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's go to the Queen's especially, Bath. Especially carrying an infant. Yeah. So we went to see in a, a cooler. We went to see a realtor up north in Kauai to see like you know what properties available. Where does everyone live? And then we're like, oh, Queen's Bath is near here. We'll go to Queen's Bath. It's a major site for tourists. And we go in there and uh, nowhere to park. So we ended up parking on someone's lawn. Uh, thank, thank. And, and by the way, your mate saved the day. The reason she let us. The reason this rich, wealthy woman let us park on her lawn is because I asked her. True. And she saw my yerba mate, and she said, "Only because you have yerba mate." You parked on her lawn? Yeah. She said actually said that. She actually said. She said, yeah. "Only because you have yerba mate, and I'm the yerba mate queen." Yeah, she did say that. Is that, that why she is amazing? Back? True story. Yeah. True story. And uh, so anyway, so we had to get track down this like you know huge like, mountain basically, and get down yeah. to the. It was dangerous, and you were carrying a baby. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, a sack of cheese and sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> a sack Someone of cheese. <laughs> he just is always carrying that. What are you talking about? We had a busy week in Kauai. Like, we did the island. We tra- we probably traveled up and down the island, I don't know, close to 10 times. Probably. Probably. I lost count. And, uh, and you know, like, Unturnal. realtor, meeting at a church, pastors and congregation, looking at the island, where does everyone live? Like, you know, it was it was, it was was really awesome. And we did get to t- take some time to be on the, on the beach and... You know, let the kids relax and have some fun. It was just gorgeous and, and it must beautiful. Have been really expensive. <laughs> That's like the only thing we'll say. Like online, I post we're back and I'm excited to talk to everyone at church. We're gonna go and send a team to plant a church there. And you know, Debbie Downer comes in and goes, must have been really expensive. Like I'm like, is yeah. that all you had to say about? I this? think that's like a weird stereotype of Hawaii, right? Anywhere in the islands, yeah. Because I never, I just never think. When you guys brought it up, I, that was not my first thought. Yeah. I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. You know. Yeah, people are like, you're just having pina coladas and preaching people, the gospel to yourself. It's like, <laughs> people need Jesus there. You realize that <laughs> right, beautiful yeah. places also <laughs> need Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is, that, like, is the name of our documentary on this thing going to be called Church Planting in Paradise? Yeah, yeah. it should be. <laughs> you realize, of course, just because they live in paradise doesn't mean that they're going to paradise. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they need Jesus there, too. Yeah. And anyway, uh, my daughter got stung by a stingray. Oh, yeah, no. I saw Can that. I tell the no, story? Not a stingray. I have not no, a stingray. Sorry, uh, a blowfish. What's it called? <laughs> a jellyfish. A jellyfish. Sorry. You're gonna have to learn some names. You're gonna have to learn some names of animals. That's, that's <laughs> a huge, huge difference. I know. I know. I know. I'm tired. Like, people whatever. die from stingray stings. <laughs> oh goodness. I'm all tired. I, all I can uh, tell you is that whatever that that story is, <laughs> my story a being bitter. My story being stung in the ocean can beat it. But go ahead. Okay. Well, we'll if we let you tell it, it'll be an hour long. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I can keep under two so, minutes. I promise. You can tell it. Yeah. So, so she got stung, uh, like on the third or second day, by 
what I, when everybody talked about it, they said it so fast. This is the honest to God truth. I honestly thought this is what they said. I think you said it or somebody said it, uh, that it was a Portuguese man whore. <laughs> <laughs> a man of war? It was a man are. of war. But, he it said, but they were he far thought. away when they said it. They said it's a Portuguese man whore. You wanted and I was like, to hear it. And I, and I you sat wanted there. to hear it. <laughs> and I sat there and I thought to myself, that is a really strange name for a jellyfish. And I kept thinking, like, why call you're it a like, man You're like, get all protective. You're like, no, it didn't. That did not happen to my I daughter. Thought, I thought, why call, it, why call it that? That's an odd name. And then they said man of war. And I was like, oh, man of war. And I thought, well, that's still an odd name to call a jellyfish. Like, you're trying to think of, like, the worst possible name. The Portuguese man I think of I'd war. rather be stung by a Portuguese like man of war. <laughs> I'm like visualizing like real fair on the ocean being like, oh, I got stung by a man whore. So, <laughs> so anyway, she got stung yeah, by this did. Portuguese man of war and she was in a lot of pain. I mean, it just got, it just gets worse and, and worse like and worse. Little, it was yeah. itty bitty too. This thing was, yeah, it was like a skittle and uh, it just kept getting worse. And I'm thinking, okay, it's going to stop in a second. It's going to be increasingly like getting just deeper in pain. It was, it was crawling up her arm in pain. So I'm like, all right. What is the one thing that I've heard yes. that you have to do to jellyfish? That's a total myth. Thing. And it's probably a myth. <laughs> it is. But it, is it really? Yeah, it's oh, totally it a myth. Well, we I did it. it <laughs> <laughs> and that's that you have to you have to pee on a jellyfish yep. thing. So I bring her back to where no one's looking, and I'm like, I, you have to pee on it. And she's like, I'm not going to pee on my hand. She's like, I can't pee when you're standing there. And I was like, I'll cover you up with a towel. And I think you have to pee on it. And so she she did. <laughs> and it didn't work. Yeah. So I said, maybe you need more. So I ran <laughs> oh to gosh. go I ran to go get a bottle so that I could you could do this 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 very important you thing really to my daughter. The and urine. finally I was like, All right, there's a fire station down the road, we'll go to the fire station. Did and they then, pee on her? No. Because <laughs> that's a myth. Wow. <laughs> so, so he was like, no, you just maybe go get some vinegar. Wow. And, you know, it looks fine. She doesn't seem allergic to it. So that was, you know, that was the that's Portuguese man of war. Like, what a name for a, 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 a jellyfish. It's a man of war. <laughs> can, we, can we talk about real quick? Yeah. What not to do uh, if you're at the beach? So... We were out boogie boarding, and we were pretty far out. We were like a good 40 yards out. We were ocean. pretty far out. You, you, were, you were freaking me out. Jeff was literally freaking out. I went swam way out real far trying to get the big waves, and he's like, there's sharks out there! Because there are. Probably, yeah. Shark. Because there are. But, I mean, I was you, know, you don't have to call... You know, yeah, you I don't know. have she to. Goes, she to me. She goes, <laughs> you know how I do. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's just that video that came out about the guy who's competitively surfing. And yeah, I talked yeah. about that on the radio show, remember? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, bring it up. It's relevant. It's still relevant. It's very relevant <laughs> now. Sharks very, are anyways, always relevant. In we're my out experience. there like boogie boarding and stuff, and all of a sudden we hear this guy screaming, "Oh yeah, Mark! Mark! <laughs> and his son's name was Mark. And he comes running to the shore. Mark! <laughs> all we heard was Mark. We're like. What? <laughs> don't that's, that's a thing. That's don't a name do that. you don't you don't, don't call out for your son. You yell under son any circumstance. <laughs> yeah. My lad <laughs> My boy <laughs> These are all acceptable terms on the beach. Mark is not one. No, Mark, you do not yell. Um it's okay. If you get bit by a shark, you just pee on it. Yeah. <laughs> punch it We have a friend who's a Navy SEAL and uh he was they dropped the seals off. 
four or five miles off in the ocean. Yeah. Four or mm-hmm. five mile off. Five mile off. Five mile <laughs> off. And before they come, you know, they, they always come in, you know, by the sea. And so he says, you know, many times they drop him off in the ocean. He'd come in to do whatever they had to do. And he said that one time he did run into a shark and it came up to him. And I was like, what'd you do? That would totally freak me out. He said, I just, I just, I punched it. They say he punched it. He probably bit it. He said he, he just punched it. I just punched it. He was just calm. Like, I just punched it. I was like, <laughs> that's a Navy SEAL for you. I just punched <laughs> right? it. I punched a shark. Like, no big deal. All right. So, Jerry, quickly, can you do a story about the, your thing before we get into the show today? Oh, were they? Yeah. Pips. What, what happened? <laughs> yes. Now, keep it short. Promise. Okay. Robert's rule in action. Here we go. So back in my younger years, I was on one of my many trips to Mazatlan, Mexico on a mission trip. Mazeltov. Mazatlan. <laughs> Mazeltov, Mexico. Yes. Yeah. Good things. Good things. <laughs> yeah. And so we are right. We, we had a hotel right by the beach and we'd always go out and go swimming and do uh, body surfing. So I missed out there with a group and there just, tem- there just happened to be a lot of jellyfish that day in the ocean. We decided to go swimming anyways. So I wouldn't. Yeah. So you know we're just body surfing, just having fun. All of a sudden, a big wave comes, and I get sucked under. And so I'm trying to get to the surface, and all of a sudden, uh, I get I start. It's just a hard current, and I'm getting dragged along the very bottom of the ocean. And so all of a sudden, my shorts just inflate up, and I feel something very stringy go up my shorts. Oh no! And it just wrapped around and around, and immediately I screamed. I, I went. <gasps> Of course, when you're underwater, uh, you, you know, you suck a bunch of water up into your lungs, and so I'm choking, and I'm trying, so I'm like, I'm drowning, but I also have these tentacles in my shorts that I have to get out. So I'm, I'm, my hands are down in my shorts, grabbing the tentacles, so my hands are getting stung, and so that I finally oh, get no. them out, and so finally I get them out, and I'm hurting a whole lot, and I'm, I realize, oh shoot, I'm choking on water, I have to get to the top. So of course... It's all happening underwater. Yes. And so finally, like, I make it to the top. I'm like, <laughs> finally, and as soon as I finally catch my breath, I'm like, is this where you almost died, where you were out floating? No, no, no that's, that's another story. That was a different time. No, I was, I a was different in, time of Jerry in the water. <laughs> just so you know, I was infamous. Like, I was every single year I go down there, something terrible would happen to me. I'd either get really bad food poisoning, I, I would almost drown. Um, yeah, I'm hitting the this table really, again. Really hard to understand. Yeah, I mean, imagine that. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't think you caught what I said. Well, and this I is did. this is interesting because Jerry, so. Jerry is prayerfully considering possibly moving to Kauai for church plan or mission stuff. Oh, just never just go, go in the water. water. Jerry, stay out yeah, of the water. water. <laughs> no matter how I'll, fun. I'll be in the water. So, no, no jellyfish up the shorts. That's a no, no bueno. No jerryfish. <laughs> well, I was saying that jerryfish. all week. Jerryfish. This year, like you got stung yeah. by jerryfish. <laughs> all right, guys. Apologyradio.com. Uh, get us on the app, Apologia Church, on YouTube or iTunes. No, sorry, Google Play or iTunes Store. And uh, also all access. You can get it at ApologiaRadio.com. We're going to be right back with Hazakim. People just got very excited. Did you hear that? People somewhere in the them, world yeah. are getting I very did. excited. Hazakim, Tony from Hazakim is here with us, guys. Love this show already. Trust me. I'm very excited about we're going to talk about Jesus as Mashiach, Jesus as the Messiah. We are back. What's up, y'all? This is Jeff Durbin with Apologia 
Radio at ApologiaRadio.com. Want to talk to you guys about an amazing connection that we have right now with Whitfield Theological Seminary. I want you to run over to Whitfield.edu, Whitfield.edu, W-H-I-T-E-F-I-E-L-D.edu. I want you to check out the programs they have. They have undergraduate programs at Whitfield College, and they also have Whitfield Theological Seminary for the graduate degree and above and beyond. I, I think you'll really be impressed with the rigorous nature of the classes the consistent biblical worldview taught and adhered to. I want you to contact Whitfield Theological Seminary at whitfield.edu. Get a hold of our friend, Dr. Kenneth Talbot, and start your classes today. ApologiaRadio.com. Side to his nature that we often neglect. Very seldom do men address it. It causes arrest. Something we want to forget. Like a bomb is a threat. We think of arms outstretched. Yeshua will calm and collect. Never pause to reflect. But when he comes to collect, seeing Jesus with eyes of fire is as raw as a guest. He is seated with rod of iron as he causes elect. The Yeshua we got used to is a cross in the neck. Bible stories and allegories as he's drawing a net. He's actually brown. You said white. No. I was talking about Jerry. Oh. You said because of white. Oh, because he's the white rapper on the show. White raptor, yeah. Oh, okay. They were actually beige, huh? (laughs) 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 So we have Tony from Hazakim and Apologia Radio for the first time. What's up, brother? Welcome. Hey, shalom, guys. Uh, Thanks for having having me on behalf of Hazakim. Yeah, dude. Yeah. So, so you actually you actually know about Apologia Radio? Yes, sir. And you listen. Yes, I do. Sweet man, that was that was good years. Awesome so, so I I bumped into to, to Tony while doing a show on the Durban Theologian uh, with yeah. Vocab Malone, um, and uh, and so we connected. And I said, "You need to be on the show. We need to get you on the show." Yeah, because it's awesome stuff. He's a solid dude, and mm-hmm. so we have him on. Hey, Tony. So, if we have listeners that don't know who you are, tell us about yourself. Tell us about. Um, I think it's inaccurate to call it a boy band. <laughs> um, <laughs> but tell us about tell us about your group. What do you do, man? Sure, man. Yeah, um, we're signed to Lamp Mode Recordings. Um, what, for what? More information. Yeah, Lamp Mode. Go to lampmode.com. L a m p m o d e dot com. Um, uh, just label mates like Shylin, um, Timothy Brindle, Esso, Jason, um, God's Servant, and Stephen Stephen Levi. Stephen um, Levi. Yeah, so those are those are our label mates. Um, we've been doing this for a while. Um, we started out actually as an evangelistic um, music ministry, um, primarily at open mics at secular hip hop events um, and proclaiming the gospel. And apologetics was kind of integral in our um, upbringing in the Lord, and we really had to rely on that in our defense of the faith, especially back in those days in hip hop when it was heavily influenced by you know certain doctrines like Islam. So we had to be well-versed. And then also on top of that, being um, raised in a Messianic Jewish house, uh, going mm-hmm. to conferences, I constantly, we both, Mike and myself, were brothers. And Mike sends his, uh, his greetings as well. He couldn't make it today to the, to the radio interview. But oh. anyway, um, we'll get him we, on. Had to, yeah, we had to constantly engage um, anti-missionaries and, and you know, Orthodox uh, rabbinic Jews regarding the Messiahship of Jesus. So it's something we acquired over time. We just started infusing it into our music. Yeah, and you know, got a good response. So. Well, see, that's what's exciting to me, Tony. Why I was excited to do this particular show with you is that I'm very passionate 
about the prophecies of Jesus in the, uh, the Tanakh and the Torah. That's one of my favorite things to talk about. It's the thing that settles my heart and my soul. And so I, I love that you, you've, done, you've done records about it. You've done ministry in this area. And you've actually, this is what encourage, is encouraging me, you've actually had to deal with what is actually a pretty difficult mission field, and that's the anti-missionaries um, yeah. that uh, Orthodox Jewish um, rabbis will kind of put out. And um, you've got, um, you know, uh, Jews against Jesus, what is it, Jews for Judaism, those sorts of yeah. organizations that come up. And, and it's important for Christians to be able to respond to those things because, honestly, the prophetic, uh, the verses, of, the prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament are some of the most spellbinding things that anybody could ever, you know, really study. But you do have anti-missionaries that ha- they work hard at being able to try to, uh, to debunk, in some sense, um, or refute these texts and sh- to say that they don't actually point to Jesus as the Messiah. So that's why I wanted to have you on. I thought it would be good to have a discussion and, and get some of your expertise in this area. Luke, do you have anything to say to Tony? Because I know you're very excited. Um, I just thought you were from Columbus. Does that mean, have you known uh, Vocab a long time? I was wondering the same thing. Yeah, man. We, I, I knew Vocab, I want to say, in my last years of, of high school, if not during oh, wow. my college years. Yeah, it, I was in high school when I met uh, Vocab. So we've known each Crazy. other for a while, man. Um, and yeah, by God's grace, we met through, through John Rubin, who was a mutual oh, okay. uh, friend of ours. And yeah, we've, we've, uh, kind of lost contact and we were just recently reconnected online oh, right um, on. for the past couple years or so. so. Hey, man. We like vocab. He's all right. Yeah. He's an awesome he's brother. Cool. He's cool, dude. <laughs> we like him a lot. All right, yeah. dude. So, um, let's talk about, this is a segue us right into the messianic prophecies of Jesus. So you grew up in a messianic Jewish household that's what's yeah, called so just and just to you know to, to kind of explain um same essential doctrines i'm uh we're racially mixed ethnically um uh, multi-ethnic um with jewish roots and so so beige um, beige yeah we're beige yeah <laughs> and i'm kind of a proponent for beige people too that's a whole other topic but anyway, we, we exist, you know i like to fight for the beige people anyway amen so, amen, amen um but uh yeah so so you know um um, in my formative years, um, you know, uh, in the Messianic movement, which really essentially the whole goal of this movement is, is to evangelize probably the most under evangelized people group or one of the most under evangelized people group on the planet. Strangely enough, the same people who gave the gospel yes. uh, to the world, which is the Jewish people. I think a lot of Christians are reluctant to evangelize uh, Jewish people because they're intimidated. But most Jewish people actually aren't really religious or very um, scripturally informed. Yeah. So yeah. it's like evangelizing anyone else. You just preach the gospel and you leave it up to the Holy Spirit to do the work. Yes. Um, but, but yeah, so growing up in that environment, man, um, and encountering, you know, these, these arguments caused us to have to, to study a lot, man. And, and you, you said it, Jeff, when you mentioned that, um, um, you know, that, that the Messianic prophecies are spellbounding and, um, and that, we couldn't make this stuff up. The disciples couldn't make this stuff up. Right. Um, interestingly, one of the texts that leads more Jewish people to to Jesus as the Messiah than any any other passage in the Tanakh is Isaiah fifty three. Yep. Um, and if you show it to to any Jewish person and just say, you know, read this and don't tell them where it's from. Don't tell them, you know, chapter and verse. Just say, read this and tell me who it's talking about and where it's coming from. Um, I've done this over the years. As a matter of fact, there's a new YouTube video where some Israelis do this on the streets of Israel. Mm. And without fail, they will say, this is this is Jesus, this is Yeshu, Yeshua. I've um, seen that video. It's incredible. The Testament. Then you tell them, no, this is from the Tanakh. This is the prophet Isaiah. Yes. Mm. Oh, it's so amazing. Oh, it's just trippy. Um, well, t- okay, so 
give me give me an example and we'll get into the text. Give me an example of something that really solidified this for you in your younger years, what you know really sort of increased your faith. Um, it, some sort of a, a conflict that you had with somebody who was an anti-missionary or someone that was seeped into a sort of Jewish tradition, a modern Jewish tradition that would reject Jesus as Mashiach. Well, what's a conflict that you had that solidified this whole message of Jesus for you? Yeah, well, you know, by God's grace, um, I was raised in a believing household, but that, of course, doesn't secure salvation. Um, so I, I became a believer. I made I made a decision to to repent and believe the gospel for myself when I was 13, roughly. Okay. Um, and by the time I'd encountered the anti-missionaries, I was a believer. However, when I discuss things, and Jeff, I'm sure you're the same way, when you discuss issues of theology or philosophy, um, you try to understand the perspective of the person you're talking to, yeah. right? So you don't just discount it outright. You want to understand and grapple with with their objections. So, I mean, yeah, when anti-missionaries uh, approached me and then I got into some internet debate with a very known, well-known rabbi named uh, Rabbi Tovia Singer, yeah. I, I, I grappled with a lot of these things um, very seriously. I think what, what settled it for me was uh, Messianic prophecy. I mean, there, there's too many to name. Um, Isaiah 9, 6, Isaiah 53, um, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 clearly defines the Messiah as a divine hmm. figure who will have, who will be pierced, who will be rejected by his own, etc. Um, and, and all the, you know, Micah 5, 2, all the endless prophecies that, um, even earlier rabbis attributed to the Messiah yeah. and later rabbis in response or in reaction to this belief in, in Yeshua and Jesus had to go back and almost reinvent Judaism into what it is today and, and almost do away, for example, the weekly uh, Parsha reading, the weekly Torah reading. Uh, and there's a Torah reading and a Haftarah reading every week in the synagogues. They skip Isaiah 53 wow. um, every year in, in wow. the annual reading cycle because it's such a controversial text. Wow. And I, I think if anyone examines it honestly, they will all come to one conclusion, and that is that Jesus is the Messiah. There's no doubt about it. No hey, doubt. I, have, I have a question for you. Yes, sir. Um, with all of the times you spent uh, in debates and talking to other people who don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, what would you say is the their biggest go-to argument? Because usually most people have a biggest argument they'll fall back on. What do you think that is, and what, what's, what's your response? Like, how do you respond to whatever the argument is? Good question, brother. I, I honestly, with with Jewish people and with and the same thing you'll encounter with Muslims or really anyone, a, a lot of times the um, things you have to wrestle from them, from their hands, from their from their white knuckles, with the most fervor is just this sense of pride, mm. and mm. sometimes it's ethnic pride, sometimes it's cultural pride, right? So yeah. it's like, well, this is what I've been told my whole life, right? Um, I haven't studied it for myself. I've never read. I've never reviewed the evidence. But this is what I've been told, and I refuse to believe otherwise because my mother and father couldn't have been wrong. My grandparents and my ancestors couldn't have been wrong. I, I have a Muslim, a dear Muslim friend, and it's the same kind of thing that I've encountered um, in, in the Jewish community. It's just this, this like cultural pride, and he's never really examined the claims of Jesus. He's never really examined the the, the, the writings of Islam. You know, the the texts of Islam. But it's just something he's been told. So most Jewish people, I would say, aren't aren't really religiously engaged. Um, they're you know sort of um, surface surface Jews. You know, kind of like uh, Sunday Christians or Eastern Christmas Christians right. who go to church mm -hmm. on Christmas and Easter. Most Jewish people in the West 
uh, and I would say even in Israel, are, are largely secular. So it's just a matter of, um, first off, showing them their need for atonement, which mm. is a thoroughly Jewish concept, a thoroughly biblical concept. Their need for atonement, you know, the fact that they're sinners before a holy God, they need atonement. And then running them, showing them the, the evidence of Scripture. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the biggest objection, honestly, is just ignorance. They've never looked into it. They've mm-hmm. never studied it. They, they're just going off of what they've been told since they were children. Mm-hmm. And it's something that, generally speaking, they don't really even think about right. in any real way. But so. the, um, the people who are, that do know the Old Testament, they're not they're scripturally informed. Is there any particular, because I remember one of the first times when I first started hanging out with Jeff, we watched a debate between Dr. Michael Brown and uh, a Jewish man on whether Jesus was the Messiah. And I remember, I think he used an argument talking about how he bore the guilt of us all. He was saying that he was a guilty Messiah, Messiah and the Messiah couldn't have borne the guilt. I don't remember exactly the argument, trying to paraphrase yeah. it, but as far as someone who's, who is informed, knows their Old Testament, what is there any particular yeah. objection that typically comes up, though? Yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. But no, okay. um, yeah, the general objection, yeah, is that if, if he was the Messiah, where where is the world peace? There's no peace on earth. The Messiah is here to bring peace. Mm. Um, and then you can go into explaining to them that that the uh, prophets declared that the Messiah had two missions, obviously to bring peace and, and, and God rule over the over the globe. But firstly, also to come and die as an atonement for sin. Another objection you'll hear specifically with certain Messianic prophecies like Isaiah 53 is that it's referring to Israel. But as you read the text, first off, if you go back even to early rabbinic sources, they agree that it's the Messiah. Secondly, if you read the text uh, of Isaiah 53, there's no way it can be talking about Israel. Uh, nope. Israel was judged for its own sin, not the sin of other of the other nations. That's right. Um, and yeah. if, if Israel is busy bearing the sins of the goyim, of the nations, who is bearing Israel's sins? Secondly, the prophet Isaiah declares for the sins of my people. And that specific phrase in scripture always refers to the Jewish people. So, I mean, those are the kinds of objections you'll hear. But usually it's more based on, you know, hey, um, where's the peace in the world? If he was the Messiah or, you know, the leaders would have known it, that kind of stuff, which is easily debunked, I think, with with just logic and and scripture. Yeah. And uh, you also have the declaration in Isaiah 53 that this one who is coming, who's going to be cut off for the sins of God's people, uh, he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. And that definitely exactly. is not a description of Israel. <laughs> not at all. Yeah, sure. yeah, and, and I'm sorry, go ahead, brother. No, especially just, just now you mentioned that, just looking at Isaiah 53, verse 9, where it says, his grave, his grave was assigned with wicked men, and yet he was with a rich man in his death. And we know, obviously, that Jesus was buried in a rich man's, in a rich man's tomb. As far as it being Israel, like how... How do you fit that in? You know what I mean? Yeah, and it, and it speaks of this of this suffering one being cut off from the land of the living, right? And then being, but then he will see the light of life. So it speaks of resurrection. Mm, yeah. And the Jewish people have never have never died um, out as a people. Matter of fact, that's one of the promises of Scripture. God said, "I will preserve you, even if I chastise you, I'll preserve you." So um, they can't have you know you can't have it both ways. You can't you can't affirm that Scripture and then say that it refers to Israel. And then, like you said, um, time and time again, we see in Scripture. Um, Israel is like is like other. I mean, Jewish people are like any any other people. We're all fallen, right? So God has to constantly chastise 
um, Israel and 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 you know um, send them into exile for their sin, etc. So um, it's it's ludicrous to say that no deceit is found in his mouth and you know no 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 guile and all that. Um, it's clearly talking of a sinless one, and Yeshua is the only one. Jesus is the only one who who qualifies. Yeah, and 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 thinking about the fact that the Book of Isaiah um, predates Christ by about about seven hundred years, and um, you've got specific prophecies running all throughout from chapter one to the very end of the book of Isaiah that depict the life and ministry of the Messiah and person of the Messiah in such vivid detail, but it comes from different corners. You've got suffering servant, you've got uh, conquering king, you've got the one who brings uh, peace and redemption to sinners around the world. You've got this, this spectrum of identifying marks of the Messiah all throughout the book of Isaiah that predate Christ by 700 years, and we have a scroll of Isaiah that uh, was buried uh, and predates Christ by about 200 years, you've got this shining testimony by God himself that he actually is the one that weaves time and history together, that is the sovereign over all things, that declares the end from the beginning. This, this is the God who tells us all that he's going to do in the world, and he's bringing history to a climax, and the pinnacle of, of, of that is Jesus his life, his death, his resurrection, his redemption of sinners. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a little, little break for a second here, guys. We're going to get reset. And we're going to talk about details now. Messianic prophecies of Jesus with Tony from Hazakim. Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, let's bring it through the acrostic that I have. Most definitely Jesus is the Messiah, M-O-S-T. Messianic prophecies of Jesus, the original life of Jesus, the symbols of Jesus, and the transformation of the apostles and the world. We're going to work through that um, just sort of hodgepodge and bring it all together with Tony from Hazakim. I got Nostradamus. I got Joy the Girl. I got Luke the Bear. I got Marcus the King, uh, Ginger on the ones and twos. Be right back. ApologiaRadio.com. I have some good news for you. But in order for me to tell you the good news, I must share with you the bad. A beard can be a most magnificent thing, but it can also be the downfall of a man. An unmaintained beard prevents a face from shining. An unmaintained beard causes dry, itchy skin. An unmaintained beard is a source of beardruff. You know, like dandruff, but beardruff. An unmaintained beard is sharp and ruthless, like iron bristles, not good for the lady friend. An unmaintained beard forfeits future growth based on the lack of preparation today. And let's not forget that an unmaintained beard robs your face from smelling amazing. Let not thy beard be thy downfall. Protect your manlyhood. An epic combination of manliness and manhood. If you are hearing this today, there is hope for your beard. Go to youcosbeard.com and enter the code APOLOGIA and you can save some money while you save your face. To be an offering, how he was filling inside was hard for him to describe. To have to give up the son, yet still he trusted in God. With two of his guys, plenty food and supplies. Traveled throughout the night, pretty soon they arrived. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes as he surveyed the mountains. Oh, never oh he actually died. wanted me to bring it in. Oh, we're good, son. yeah. You can, you can, you can do whatever you want, man. Ha! Uh, uh, no, I thought you were okay. Sorry. No, it's okay. No, you're good. So go ahead. Just right now. Yeah, man. Like right now. You know how to do it. As opposed to like restarting and Don't doing restart. it again. Don't restart. Let it be messy. Just jump in. Go ahead. Just a complete mess it's a and good disaster. Messy. It's a good mess. Okay, so anyway. <laughs> one of the first times I got involved in apologetics or knew what it was, I was at an Acquire the Fire conference that I went to religiously every year. And Josh McDowell was there and he spoke about the messianic prophecies in scripture. 
And one of the things he mentioned was like, if you were to take the entire state of Texas and layer it in quarters yep. one foot deep and mark an X on a quarter, drop it from a helicopter and mix the entire state of Texas in quarters. Yeah. That's the chances of Jesus fulfilling all the prophecies in the Old Testament. You sent a person blindfolded in the corner of Texas and you told him go and you can stop one time, pick up one coin and that's the coin. And that's the uh, that's the probability I think the, the statistical probability of one man fulfilling eight prophecies, correct? That he had no control over. That's right. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah, that was really powerful. So so I mean it's just an amazing thing to do a study in the Bible from Genesis onward through the old end of the Old Testament all the descriptions of Jesus as Messiah that are specific. You've got the who, the where, the what, the when, the why, the how, everything about his life, death, uh, resurrection, everything, everything about his person, details about his kingdom, all, even when he's coming, all in the Old Testament, long before Jesus comes, it's in high definition, y'all. Everything about Jesus necessary to know him as Savior and Lord is in the Old Testament. And by the way, this is the apology. Listen, it's presuppositional because you're using the Word of God and standing on it as the as the final standard. But it's 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 also necessary to to point out that this is the argument of the apostles. When you look in the Book of Acts, when the Apostle Paul is going into a synagogue or Apollos is going to a particular place, they're not only reasoning from the Bible and the Word of God as the foundation to show that Jesus is the Messiah. Acts nine, Acts eighteen, um, but in the the Apostle Paul. In Romans chapters one and chapter um, three, chapter four, his like starting point is that God promised in His holy scriptures Jesus the Messiah. This wasn't a plan B. This was God's entire plan. The 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 throughout history, it was Yeshua. It was Jesus the Messiah. All along, God's plan was what was going to take place in the life and ministry of Jesus. And Paul's whole uh, proclamation, he's heralding the idea that God has finally done this in Jesus. Now it's come, and now we receive the blessings of this Messiah's work and his kingdom in the world. I mean, that's the story of, of the Bible. It's this, this overarching narrative of Jesus the King, Jesus the Redeemer, Jesus the Savior, and everything in your Bible, say starting from Genesis, all of the, all the particular prophecies are identifying marks like A to Z. This is what's going to take place exactly and you've got so particular prophecy, and you've also got pattern prophecy, the, the life of Abraham and Isaac. You've look at G, uh, the, the temple work, the priests, the sacrifices. You've got um, uh, all all of the particulars of of the biblical heroes. Like those are all like foreshadows of Jesus. Ultimately, ultimately, every story is really about Jesus. It's not about Moses. It's not about the temple. It's not about the priest. It's about Jesus. The whole Bible's about Jesus. Yeah, I think one of my favorite moments in the Bible is when uh, after Jesus is resurrected and they're walking down the road and Jesus shows them all the scriptures that are about him. The yes. entire <laughs> That's the like, best Bible study yeah. of history. Like I would love, who wouldn't want to be there at that moment of all the moments in history? Yes. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the best Bible study in history. It's better than any of James White's Bible studies. It's better wow. than my Bible studies. It's better than any, anybody wow. ever. It's better than anybody ever's Bible studies. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting a Bible study one day. I want to get that. If we can, we can make a request. Do you think? Be like, yeah. Lord, can we just spend <laughs> like the next 100 years, you just sort of unpacking <laughs> like the text, like just tell us, like you give us the real <laughs> deal. 
<laughs> you got like John Owen, John Calvin, like all just sitting at the feet of Jesus. Like this yeah. is awesome. Right. <laughs> this is awesome. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so Marcus, your your quarter analogy made me think of something. Okay. If I had the opportunity to find that quarter, I would probably do this. And it's not working. Oh, God. Oh, okay. Wait, wait a little. Oh, yes. I definitely. will be pulling the Scrooge McDuck. Why? Scrooge McDuck, remember? He swims for money. It's oh, wow. That. You see that? That is very sophisticated. Here we go. Humor. I didn't. I didn't even remember that. Well, that's so, that's what I think welcome. of when I think about jumping into like treasure or something. You see, that's sophisticated. Except in real life, it would kill you. And you yeah. got it. And yeah. you got it. I don't think you got it. He doesn't even know what we're talking about. I <laughs> didn't get it. Ducktails. I wonder how many listeners actually got that. That's Tony, did you get it? Were you, I were you with did. us? Yeah. <laughs> I'm in. I'm proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm just gonna let it play. You gonna let you gonna let Ducktales play yeah. or okay? All right, he turned down just a, just a skosh. A team, <laughs> a team. Uh, hey man. Um, you miss you, so, so uh, all right, so Tony, you we did you did Isaiah 53. We'll probably do a little more. So messianic prophecies of Jesus. We've got the who, the where, the why, the what, the when, the how of the Messiah in the Old Testament. You give us besides Isaiah 53. It's obviously a premier a premier uh, te- uh, text or passage. Um, give us your favorite that describes the who, the where, the why, the when, the what, the how, or any of those about Yeshua as Mashiach. Like, what's your favorite? Wow. Um, in addition to prophecies, I think the foreshadowings and, and the types, like uh, the song you played um, back from back from break was um, the binding of uh, Abraham's, Abraham's binding of Isaac. Uh, yes. And so, um, and, and you have them traveling basically for three days to reach the place of execution. Um, you know, so the three days is very, is very important. Uh, and we know from the book of Hebrews that, uh, that Isaac was considered as good as dead, basically. So he was mm-hmm. dead, but he was resurrected on the third day when the Lord finally um, relieved Abraham of that command. Um, we have the only begotten son language used of Jesus, the same kind of words used of, of Isaac called the only begotten, the, um, the, the father's beloved son. So, I mean, you have those kind of types as well. I also think Daniel 9 is very important. Um, and there's various ways to interpret it. I don't want to get into the, the, the debate between you know, like eschatology and what it means. But what I will say is that we do know from the language of Daniel chapter 9 that the Messiah had to come before the second temple was destroyed. Either yes. way you slice it. Yes. So that's something very important to tell to tell someone as well. Like, look, hey, the prophets declared, particularly Daniel declared, that the Messiah had to come before the destruction of the second temple, that everlasting righteousness had to be ushered in, that sin had to be atoned for, um, and that he would be cut off for the, the sins of others. Um, if the Messiah hasn't come, he's not ever coming. Yep. So I think it's an issue of God's integrity. If the Lord declared these things and he's done nothing to bring them to pass, then um, we have an untrustworthy God, heaven forbid. And so I think when you're speaking to a Jewish person, that's another strong point to, to mention is that according to the prophet Daniel, uh, the Messiah had to come before the destruction of the second temple. Yeah, um, and, and th- those are two of my favorites as well. And, and you're, you're right to point out, and let's stick to Daniel 9 for a second. We'll spend a little more time on the Abraham one um, when, we, when we talk about the symbols of, of Jesus. Um, 
<laughs> Sorry, we're trying really hard to train Jerry not to bang on the table. Um, Sorry. Uh, Daniel so chapter 9 uh, is, is a very important text. You guys need to go to that text. You need to memorize it. And, and, and Tony, you're right. Um, wh- whatever your eschatological position is in terms of how you count the days up and how it lands on Jesus and his life and work and ministry, um, the point is, Daniel chapter 9, the angel Gabriel, very reliable source, by the way, is, is telling Daniel when God is going to complete all this stuff. And you're right, everlasting righteousness, atonement for iniquity, has to be brought, brought in. And, and this is interesting. It says that the Messiah is going to be cut off. And the word that's used there is, is descriptive of a violent death. And then it describes the, the second temple being destroyed. So it's, not, it's, not, it's a prophecy of the coming second temple, and also of its destruction. And it says that the Messiah is going to be cut off before this takes place, and everlasting righteousness is going to be brought in. So it's a story I tell often. I'll just tell, you the, tell, tell everyone it briefly. Um, I got the opportunity to go to an anti-missionary uh, seminar uh, in Scottsdale. I went to it. I got to wear the yarmulke, and I brought my Bible, and, back, and it was a bunch of Christian friends. And we go into this place and listen to this rabbi, who looked just like Manashahu, uh, talk about how Jesus is not the Messiah for like about two hours. And he didn't mention any, any of the major texts that Christians and Jewish Christians have been, using, have been using for 2,000 years to show that Jesus is in fact Mashiach. And so I walk up to him when it's all finished and all eyes are on us. We're the only ones in there with our Bibles, the only ones in there with our Bibles. I take a beeline up to the rabbi. The entire place literally swarms us. They're surrounding us, waiting for this thing to go down. And so I'm very respectful to him, and I said, Rabbi, thank you for having me, and thank you for inviting us, and, you know, I'm trying to be pleasant to the man, and I said, I just have a question for you. I said, how come you didn't bring up any of the texts from the Torah, the Tanakh, the the Old Testament, we would call it, that Christians have been using for 2,000 years to show that Jesus is, in fact, Mashiach? And he says to me, he says, well, young man, I used, I went to all of them. And I said, Rabbi, you didn't even go to one that I would go to. And he said, well, give me an example. And I said, where do I start? I said, how about Daniel 9? I said, Daniel 9 says the Messiah comes, he's cut off before the destruction of the second temple. And so we're opening Daniel 9, and so I, I say to him, I said, I said, Rabbi, if Jesus is not Mashiach, then who is? And so he looks down at the text, he's, he's flipping the page, he's running his finger down, and everyone in there is like just panting, waiting for this thing to, to happen, waiting for the response, they're looking at him, looking at me, looking at him, they're smiling, you know, they can't wait for his answer. And he's running his finger through the text, and finally he says to me, he says, uh, what's your email address? I'll get back to you on this. Wow. It was an amazing thing. Here's a guy holding a seminar on how Jesus isn't the Messiah, and he can't answer one of the most fundamental texts concerning the nature of the timing of, uh, of the Messiah's coming. And so I gave him my email address. He never got back to me. Um, that's a powerful thing that shows the timing of the Messiah. Daniel chapter Amen. 9. And another, another very important scripture, too, um, Isaiah 42 um, verse 6 and Isaiah chapter 9, I want to say verses 1 and 2, declare that the Messiah would be a light to the Gentiles. Yes. And when you, when you look at what Jew in history has brought the knowledge of the God of Israel to more people, who's the most famous Jew that ever lived? Jesus is the only one. There's no other candidate that even comes close. That's so, right. I mean, on a practical level, just when you look at the numbers of people who have been you know, brought out of all kinds of sin and all kinds of idolatry to the knowledge of the one true God through the ministry of Jesus, through his death and resurrection, man, uh, there's just, there's no other candidate. Yeah, other than him. Let, let's stick there for a second. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9 is an important text because it does say exactly what you're saying, that the light of God is going to come. 
at, to the Gentiles. And it's really interesting because when you look at Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew, Matthew takes pains to make sure that everyone sees that Jesus owns Matthew 1, the royal rights of the throne, uh, that he's born of a virgin. First text is Isaiah seven fourteen, quoted in Matthew chapter 1. You've got Isaiah chapter 2. You've got the first people coming to worship Jesus as king are Gentiles, pagan Gentiles. You've got in Matthew chapter 2, Jesus depicted as the perfect Israel. He's called God's son. Uh, the text, texts that are referring to Israel as God's son are now applied to Jesus as God's son. Um, and then you've got Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, is prophesied near the end of the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament, by the way, and the way we order it, that this one who's coming, is the forerunner of Jesus, is going to turn the hearts of people to God. Um, then the Messiah is going to come. And you've got Matthew 3. Here's the forerunner, John the Baptist. He's calling people to repentance, just as was promised. Matthew 4, Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days, and you've got the picture and pattern of Jesus as the perfect Israelite. He's, he's, he's accomplishing what Israel failed to do. But it's interesting, what Tony just brought up, Isaiah 9, is quoted by Matthew in Matthew 4, after Jesus, as the true and perfect Israel, defeats Satan in the wilderness, does what Israel did not do, and that's faithfully obey God, um, after being offered all the kingdoms of the world by Satan, which is what Jesus came for, um, Jesus defeats Satan, and then it quotes Isaiah 9. And it quotes the beginning portion of Isaiah 9, and we often don't go back to see what was in that text. This is important. Jesus comes out of the wilderness, defeats Satan, and then Matthew quotes Isaiah 9, and Isaiah 9, directly after the quoted passage, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, is the prophecy of God who's coming to bring a kingdom that will increase in peace and in his government. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this, so it's the kingdom of the Messiah. And then it says, the first words out of Jesus' mouth in Matthew 4, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and Jesus is going about proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, which is what Isaiah 9 was all about. Jesus is Mashiach. So be right back, guys. we got a lot more on ApologiaRadio.com. Hey, by the way, did I mention uh, All Access? What? You did not. No. All Access is available at ApologiaRadio.com. You can join with us in this ministry and get a lot more content from Apologia Radio. We just did Justin Peters and the Word of Faith movement. We had Dr. Uh, White, we had John Sampson. We are actually putting up one right Sherry. now with Sherry Pierce uh, on ministry to abortion clinics. If you want to know how it's done, if you want to hear encouraging stories, get that episode. Really great stuff. We also had on that episode one of the mothers of twin girls saved from Planned Parenthood in Tempe on the episode with us. Don't miss it. It's really, really encouraging. Uh, you get it at apologiaradio.com. And uh, we're just excited. And by the way, we're, we're holding something that we're not releasing yet, letting people know about Apologia TV. That's right. It's very cool. Luke, you're looking at me like crazy. Yeah. Something amazing about Apologia Being TV. kept secret even from us, Luke. Do I know about <laughs> you, you know. It involves a contract. Oh, that thing. <laughs> it's kind of a big deal. It is a big deal. Yeah. All right, guys. So, ApologiaRadio.com, where you get us. All access is where you join us in this ministry. Be back with more with Hazakim, Tony from Hazakim. Hi, this is Warner with Apologia Radio. I want to ask for y'all good friends of ours to go on and click that button there and become my friends on the book face. 
and Facebook backslash Paul Dream Radio. Become my friend on YouTube. That there uh, twerker. The twerker. I want to talk to you on the twerking. And send me out a twerk. What? Where? What? Twitter. Apologia Radio on Twitter. I also want to tell you we talk about apologetics and theology and we do a lot of swing dancing and we make a delicious chicken gravy. ApologiaRadio.com gets old. No. Never. Never. You should do a road trip with Luke and I. It's all modest Yahoo. And a few other things and I try to get Luke not to play. Because they hurt my ears. <laughs> and a lot of this, and it's just we're just shouting, screaming this. We change the lyrics around a bit. A bit. Just more, a bit. More right, biblical. Jerry. I got Mashiach now. I got Mashiach now. Yeah, so I want to set you guys up for this next segment since you're going to be doing a lot about um, just prophecies in regards to the Messiah. And this is actually a quote I'm going to read by a pastor. You guys may be familiar with him, Vody Bakum. He did a sermon. A little bit. Vody Bakum. And he did one on about why I choose to believe the Bible. And he said this. It's a really good summary. And it says, and I'll read this slowly and very try and be accurate with this. He says, I choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies, and they claim to be divine rather than human in origin. So, that being said, you guys can go ahead and uh, dissect that and uh, take it over. And also, just know I'm really... It's a good thing that wasn't a rap lyric, because that would have been really I was bad. Say, that was the only thing that would have made it better if it was Body Bakum rap lyric. I don't know if Tony. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if Tony gives like private lessons in hip hopping. Uh, I would, I would love to you learn. You could use them because you could be good. <laughs> that wasn't bad, man. <laughs> <laughs> All yeah. right. So let's do. Um, we do want to talk about abortion uh, today, and and we want to talk about what Tony. Um, but let's Tony. Let's all do a quick thing. Let's do, let's do a blitz of some texts that talk about the who, where, why, when, how of the Messiah from the Old Testament, and also symbolic prophecies, pattern prophecies. Let's do them all. Everyone, feel free to jump in here 
Um, <clears throat> and let's uh, let's go. So obviously Isaiah 53 is important. Isaiah 53 tells you details about Jesus. And Isaiah 53, that he's like a root out of dry ground. He has nothing about him that's going to draw you to him. That's in a sense of um, beauty that you, that you would desire. Like, oh, that's the king. He comes and it says that the people were going to reject him. They were going to think that he was being destroyed or judged for his own sins. But it says the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all, that he'd be uh, pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, a chastisement for our well-being would fall upon him, and by his wounds we'd be healed. Isaiah 53 tells you the details about this righteous Messiah. Think about it. Isaiah 53, he's done no violence, there's no deceit in his mouth, but this is the same guy in the same book that said in Isaiah 6, when he covers his mouth seeing the holiness of God, he says, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. He recognizes his own sin, mm. his own undoing before a holy God. And what he says about the Messiah later in Isaiah 53 is that he had done no violence. There was no deceit in his mouth. It says that he was going to justify the many as he would bear their iniquities. So this is the Messiah's work that he was going to be cut off, that he was going to be with a rich man in his death, that he would see his offspring he would prolong his days. So you've got the death of the Messiah and the resurrection of the Messiah and the justification of the rebels. It says that he would be counted among the rebels and he would justify them. He would bear their iniquities. Isaiah 53, absolutely important text. Someone else go. Genesis 3.15. Yes. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> oh, oh you're, to, you're to guess, man. You're to guess. Go ahead, bro. Uh, no, uh, oh. let, me, let, me, let me give this one real quick. This is one of my favorites. Psalm 22. <laughs> Quoted by the Messiah on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, clearly a reference. He wanted the the hearers to refer back to the Psalm of David. Um, and it talks about the righteous one of God um, being um, having his hands and feet pierced, being scorned and despised by his people. Um, they would hurl insults at him, shake their heads at him um, and that God would deliver him from death and that through his deliverance from death, uh, the whole world would worship and praise God. So this is clearly also referring to Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. Go ahead, bro. It's also kind of post-mill, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can have that talk, bro. Yeah. Ooh, shots fired. <laughs> Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That's like the first one. Amen. And yeah. and, and uh, quick symbol. God has the first, first innocent for guilty sacrifice and the covering, the clothing in the sinners, in the innocent yeah. skins. Yeah. So, so you've got... The shedding of blood. You have both a particular prophecy there and you also have a pattern prophecy there in Genesis 3. Next. Yeah. How about Next. all of Isaiah 65? How about all of Isaiah 65? Okay. <laughs> we'll the just go with the whole thing. chapter. How about Genesis... Just the Bible. The whole thing. <laughs> Every word. Um, okay, so another one. Let's just go in a little more detail. The Genesis text where we talk about uh, Abraham and Isaac. It's really important that you notice the specifics about almost 2,000 years before Jesus. You've got Abraham, the father of our faith, with his son, the son of the promise, his the son of his love. Those words are used there, the son of, of his love. That, that's really important. The firstborn ultimately promised to him the one that was the heir. That's how you call firstborn. He was the actual heir. Um, but then you have this long journey to the specific place God 
tells him to go to. And watch this. It says that the wood for the sacrifice is laid on Isaac. That's important. And they go to this specific place. And it's really interesting because the question Isaac asks, he says, where's the lamb? And Abraham's response is very important. It says, God will provide for himself the lamb. So that's really important. Where's the lamb? God will provide for himself the lamb. And then when he's about to slay his son, God stops him. And this is really important. It says, the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord stops him and says that you have not withheld your only son from whom? Me. That's powerful. So who's there? Who's there? Jesus, the one who's going to be slain on that spot, says, you haven't withheld your only son from me. And then what do they find in the thicket? They find a ram. In the thorn bush. That's a, they, they found it in a thorn bush. Not a lamb. Yeah. Not a lamb. And then it says that Abraham names that place, the Lord will provide it. This is the place the Lord will provide it. And it was about 2,000 years later that God's son, the son of his love, the firstborn, the son of the promise, that son went to that place to be sacrificed for sinners, and God did not withhold his hands. God did provide the lamb, the lamb of God, that John the Baptist says when he sees Jesus, behold the lamb of God. That's who he identifies as the lamb of God. That's who went to that place, specific place, where Jesus died for our sins. God did not withhold his hand. God did provide the lamb for the sacrifice. And like the ram in the thicket, the Messiah wore a crown of thorns upon his head. Mm. And yes. uh, all these, all those points, brother, We, for those who like to hear it in music form, full circle gives a detailed description. But praise God. Another thing, that very word Mashiach in Hebrew, anointed one, there were three offices that were given the title Mashiach. The prophet, the priest, and the king. Wow. And in mm. Jesus, in his ministry, he came as a prophet to his people, warning them. Uh, of of coming judgment, um, telling them, admonishing them to to make teshuvah, to repent and return to God. He also predicted the destruction of Jerusalem and the in the uh, destruction of the sacking of the temple as well. And then he also comes as a uh, priest, and that he lays down his life, and ultimately he reigns as king. So if you any candidate that that would be Mashiach has to fulfill all three yeah. offices of what Mashiach is. They would have to be prophet, priest, and king. Only Jesus uh, is the possible candidate. Yes, and then let's talk about where you've got Micah chapter 5, famous Christmas verse. It talks about this one who is coming, the one who's going to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from everlasting. Think about that. You've got place, Bethlehem in this text. You've got person. It's the one who is from everlasting. Well, every Jew knows the Shema, Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Every Jew is monotheistic, believing only one eternal God. It says the one coming from Bethlehem is the one that's from eternity. That's important. That's his person. That's very specific. And it says, verse 4 of Micah 5, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. He is their peace. What's the whole message of the book of Romans? Therefore, having been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The whole message centered around the Messiah's work and ministry is shalom, peace with God. And that peace would go to the ends of the earth. So you've got place, you've got person, you've got purpose in Micah 5, long before Jesus comes. And that's also kind of post-mill. Sorry. Yep. Okay. Hey, <laughs> we have to set something up with that, bro, because I would love to discuss that. Um, uh, another two. one, uh, Isaiah 9, 6. 
um, tells us who the Messiah would be um, of his deity. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders. He will be called Pele Yoetz, El Gibor, Aviad, Sar Shalom, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, uh, Everlasting Father or Father of Eternity, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And the, the, the increase of his government would have no end, and he would sit on David's throne. So the Messiah would be a descendant of David, but would be greater than David, and that he would be um, the mighty God, the El Gibor. So, Amen. Um, Amen. Jesus, man. Yeshua, That's right. he's That's the right. only one. That's right. I got one. Jerry. Psalms 22, when it is the verse where it talks about, they have pierced my hands and my feet. And what's amazing about that is that this is a passage that was written several hundred years prior to Rome even becoming an empire, let alone even inventing crucifixion. Mm -hmm. And it's something they not only invented, they had to perfect to the level to where they could keep people alive for days. And I think that's just incredible when they talk about, it's actually uh, verse 17 and on, and it says, uh, I can count all my bones, they look, they stare at me, they divide my garments among them. Uh, That's actually one, and oops, I jumped ahead of here. And it's uh, actually verse 16. It says, for dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. And I know I I read a little bit ahead, but the fact of verse 18 as well talks about they divide my garments among them um, and the fact that that exactly happened while Jesus was being crucified. We we, we talked about it a second ago, but but the thing to add to that is that this is the Jewish hymnal. So the Psalms operate as a Jewish hymnal. This is the songs, these are the songs they sang. And so when Jesus says on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In front of Jews who know their hymnal, exactly. they could have sang that song, sung that song along with Jesus, and they would have been literally singing about what was happening in front of them. Amen. That's what's trippy about that text. All right, guys, more. Psalm 2. Psalm 2, give it to us. What about it? It says, uh, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry with you and perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. And Son, when it says kiss the Son, is S-O-N. And it's capitalized, so I think that means something. Yeah. <laughs> it, it just might. <laughs> <laughs> Isaiah, it was Isaiah 50, brothers. Yes. Um, it's a psalm of the Davidic king, this descendant of David who would sit on the throne. And uh, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. I don't think there was really ever a time in the life of David as king of Israel where that specifically happened to him. But his descendant, the Messiah, who is... Um, heir to the throne of David, it most certainly did happen. Amen. Luke, you had some. Um, well, maybe we can answer this when we come back. I was just going to ask how a good Jew would respond to uh, Genesis 126, specifically Elohim being plural. Uh, I'm, I'm curious how they would how they would justify let us make man in our image. I'd love to answer that, bro. All right. <laughs> we'll get on the other side. So let's do it. Here we go. Break time. We'll be right back. This is fun stuff, and we haven't even scratched the surface. Oh, what a great song to go into the break with. Are you ready, Marcus? Yeah. King Ginger, you got to let this go, too, because this is the perfect song. Woo!
Hi, this is Jeff Durbin with Apologia Radio. You can get us at ApologiaRadio.com. I'm also the pastor at Apologia Church in Tempe. You can get us at ApologiaChurch.com. want to invite you guys to join us for worship, the Word, and fellowship on Sundays at 4 p.m. And that's Joy Tempe. Hey there. We are a family-integrated church, so we invite you to bring your whole family to worship with us. This is Luke Pearson, the ministry bear, also discipleship pastor at Apologia Church. Like Jeff mentioned, we are now meeting at a new location and time, 4 p.m. on Sunday afternoons at Arizona Community Church. That's 9325 South Rural Road and Tempe. We're meeting in the community center, and that is between Warner and Ray off of Rural. Again, you can reach us on them internets at apologiachurch.com. Delicious beards are encouraged but not required. <laughs> Glory! Good news is so good. We're all condemned deserters. You know what my heavenly father said? He said there is none good. No, not one. And yet some of you think you're going to go to heaven because of your goodness. If you believe that, the gospel will never be good news to you. Kiss your cross and count your bees while praying in monasteries. Repeat a thousand our fathers, recite ten million Hail Marys. But these things are not necessary all that day when we're buried because there's. You can even sing the show. That's awesome. Wow. Holy days and separate all your dishes. But apart from the sacrifice for sin, there is no remission because there's. Wow. That was awesome. What do you say? You say that's fresh? Who was that? Uh, who was that at the beginning? <laughs> Tony, who was that at the beginning? Uh, that was uh, a pastor by the name of Johnny Hunt. Woodstock, oh, Georgia. Hmm? Yeah. Johnny Hunt? Yeah, yeah Johnny from Woodstock, Hunt. Georgia. From Woodstock, yeah. Georgia. Yes, Church Baptist Church, Woodstock. They got a lot of hippies there. Is that the Woodstock? No. Sounds no. like <laughs> The Woodstock like up north. No. <laughs> I, Not, just, I no. just thought I'd ask. Okay, so we're back. Luke asked Tony a question regarding how would somebody today that identifies as Jewish who rejects Jesus as Messiah respond to God in Genesis 1, uh, speaking as a plurality, when clearly we know that there is only one true and living God, and God says, let us create man in our image. And I wanted to say quickly before Tony um, answers that, there is no... Um, uh, record uh, known in the BC era where there is ever um, a singular uh, speaking as a plurality. So it's, you couldn't say, right, well, right. it's the royal we sort of a yeah. thing. That doesn't happen in any BC era record. There is no um, example of that happening. So it is curious um, that Moses records uh, God saying, let us create man in our image, when Moses is also one of them records the, Shem- uh, the Shema in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, he also, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 35 and 39, says that God is the God alone in the heavens above and on the earth below. There is no other. So what is with this text? Tony? Yes, yes brother. Uh, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And um, typically Jewish people would go to, to the Shema, which was mentioned earlier, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, and would say that this is an affirmation of, of uh, Unitarian doctrine, but it is absolutely not. Matter of fact, the same word Echad, is used elsewhere in the Torah uh, when it says that the evening and morning were Yom Echad, one day, that a man and a woman would would, uh, join together and become one flesh, Echad. So we see Echad used 
in relation to a complex, a complex or compound unity all the time. Um, there's another Hebrew word, yachid, uh, which I think if, if uh, Moses wanted to imply that God is an absolute one with no complexity uh, to his oneness, then he would have used yachid because that's typically used um, of just a more simplistic one. But God is spoken of as, as echad, the same word used for a husband and wife that become one flesh. So um, um, honestly, the, the arguments I hear are, are, aren't typically based on, you know, a well-informed opinion. It's just based on, like I said, culture. When you're talking, though, to someone who is more um, well-versed um, in, in Scripture, really it's an objection based on emotionalism. Um, there's a few Jewish um, scholars and theologians who have recently come out with um, some interesting books. One of them is Daniel Boyer, and he wrote a book called The, the Jewish Gospels. And the whole point of this book is essentially, he's not a believer, okay? He's not a believer. He's an Orthodox Jewish uh, believer. But um, he doesn't, he rejects, at least to my knowledge, he rejects uh, Jesus as Messiah. But his whole point is that in ancient Judaism, the idea of God being one yet um, more than one, like a Trinitarian idea, um, and he argues more for a binitarian um, view of God based on um, Daniel's vision of the Son of Man. But he basically makes the case that in ancient Judaism, in Second Temple Judaism, um, that the Christian concept of God's oneness is more in line with ancient Judaism than the more uh, norm, uh, normative Judaism of today. That this concept, uh, which is really a reaction against the Trinitarian uh, God, um, is not found in, in really in the ancient Jewish faith. So um, I think throughout scripture, and, and another thing we haven't touched on, which we did a whole album on in 2009 called Theophanies, is the many appearances of God. This is something that, that you have to wrestle with. The scriptures tell us that no one can see God and live, yet in Genesis 18 and Genesis 32, um, Exodus 3 and elsewhere, we see people seeing God physically. Abraham actually eats with God, um, speaks with God. And when you read it in context, there's no way around it. The Lord appears, it says Yahweh, yod heh uh, the ineffable name of God, appears with two angels to Abraham uh, be, right before uh, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it presents God as having a physical body. So this dichotomy that exists between a God who cannot be seen and a God who is seen and is tangible is only answered in this doctrine of the, of the triune nature, the trinity of God and the deity of, of the Messiah. There's no, uh, To me, it's the, it's the missing piece of the puzzle that makes sense mm. of it all. I like Tony. Yeah. Tony, you want a job? Yes, sir. Please. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I think I think we did good scratching the surface here. Yeah. Joy, Joy, would you like to add anything, or would you like to give us any interesting tidbits, delicious thoughts that um, we can munch on? Sure. Um, my thought is that I love Messianic prophecy. Amen. It's awesome. Yes. And it's not just... Um, I feel like it's just a confrontation to all of our traditions, Jewish or no. Okay. Um, so I think that it's, I think it's just wonderful text. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's good for uh, the Jewish person. It's good for and the kid. And it's good for the, um, the subjective, free love millennial. Mm. Basically, it's just, um, I, I just think it's like a, It's good for the kids. Yeah, I think it just, <laughs> what it's saying is that I am God. It describes the Godhead. Mm. And it says uh, that I am who I say I am. Mm -hmm. Old Testament, New Testament, forever and always. Yes. That's my thought. That's good. That's a good uh, <laughs> little 
cream to put on top. That's what that was there right there. That's right. Can I share something real quick? A dear friend of mine, um, well, I haven't really seen him in a while, but a brother that I look up to in music, a brother by the name of Ambassador, who was a founding yes. member of Cross Movement. I know the dude, Ambassador. The, yeah. He got me in Fusion Hip Hop. You just dude. got saved now. What you going to do? What you yeah. going to do? <laughs> yeah, William Branch, man. He used an analogy once. I heard him sharing the gospel, um, and he used an analogy of a pool player, a professional pool player who calls the shots before they make them. And that's the difference between an amateur mm. right, and a, and a professional is the professional lets you know exactly what yeah. pocket the ball is going in. And that's essentially what he, what God has done um, so that when the Messiah comes, there's no question. And that's why when you hear um, Jesus ministry in his own among his own people, among his own Jewish people, and then the disciples going out and sharing the gospel, they always declare that this is the Messiah who, who fulfilled the things that were written by Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Right. So. Um, the messianic prophecy, like the sister said, it, it is it is valid and it's 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 a, an effective tool for ministry, no matter who you're ministering to, because it proves that our God called the shots in advance and that this isn't some arbitrary faith. Right. Um, Jesus didn't come out of a vacuum. Right. That he came against the backdrop of all these prophecies and he fulfilled them exactly as they were written. And if he fulfilled uh, all the prophecies up to this point, we know that it will all be fulfilled according to God's sovereign will. So we can have assurance um, in God's sovereignty, we can have assurance in his promises being being fulfilled. Boom. Dude, there's another term, another title for God that's not in the Bible. What? Shot caller. Shot caller. <laughs> that's right. He is the shot caller. God the there. healer. <laughs> the God who saves. He's also the shot caller. That's right. Yep. He's fresh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's transition now. Um, Hazakim, you are uh, Tony. Hazakim, your group, you talk about your name real quick. We didn't talk about Yeah, that. we didn't really do that. Yeah, yeah that. Hazakim. Uh, the reason Hazakim. we didn't put a C H in the front is because people would call us Chazakim. Chazakim. Uh, uh-huh. So, you know, we just put the H, but it's actually Hazakim. The root word in Hebrew is Hazak, which means strength. Um, and it literally means strong ones or, or warriors to some degree. So the concept is obviously we're weak, but in him we are strong. Yeah. Um, nice. And Paul's admonition to be strong in the Lord. So Chazakim means strong ones. Awesome. So you um, do a lot of traveling. You are. Well, doing... I have a question really quick. Yeah. Okay? Sure. Um, so while you guys were talking about all the verses and prophecies specifically i just like couldn't get this question out of my head so that's just how my brain works um i was just really interested because the group your group is you and your brother and so i kind of was just curious about how you guys became a thing obviously you were born into the same family but um (laughs) just uh i just wanted to hear a little bit about how you guys discovered a love for music and then how you decided you wanted like where you wanted to go with it and all that just real quick sure and no, however long question. You i'll give you the uh, nutshell version yeah man um I, I i since an early age kind of gravitated once i once i heard good hip-hop right i gravitated towards it because for the longest time i was uninterested in it mm. but when i heard like some of the really lyrical hip-hop that was coming out um i gravitated towards it um mike had an appreciation for it but he was a jazz guy like even as a kid, he was fascinated with Benny Goodman and, and Miles Davis and like big band. And then also like bebop jazz from the 60s. He wasn't really into hip hop. So I was with rapping with John Rubin and, and, and vocab was part of the same crew mm. um, uh, called the Showcase MCs. And then eventually 
Um, I think when Mike heard Cross Movement, it kind of because he had this love of apologetics and obviously a love for music. And he did he did like hip hop, but he wasn't like really like a hip hop fan to the degree that I was. Um, but when when Showcase MCs disbanded and I think when he was hip to the Cross Movement, it kind of hit him like, wow, this is like this can be done artistically well and also can be done in a way that it glorifies the Lord mm. like so supremely. So Lamp Mike Mode Ro- calls it. Um, what is it? Hip apologetics. Yeah, well, that's actually a phrase that we coined oh, for cool. Cosmic Game. They call it lyrical theology. That's okay. that's what Shylin coined uh, what we do. Yeah, man. So, like, we, um, you know, Mike wrote his first rap, which was based on a book by Josh McDowell called Liar, Lunatic, Lord, or Legend, way back in the day. We recorded it in vocabs, a uh, basement. Oh, my gosh. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and that started Hazakim. Really, Mike was the kind of the Mike's, that rap that he wrote was kind of the the, the, the defining moment that sort of, define what we were and who we would be in our in our music ministry so it's been interesting um over the years christian hip-hop um has evolved and changed along with secular hip-hop which sometimes is frustrating because i don't think we should take all our cues from the secular market and i don't want to get on that soapbox but it's become less theologically um savvy in a sense and less less theology is playing less of a role it's more anthems about how god makes you a better you kind of thing Mm. um and some of that can be can be beneficial. I'm not putting that down, but um, uh, I think theology is very important. And I think the results of a theologically um, malnourished people uh, is not good. Like so, the movement I think is an, is 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 some ways there's some good things happening, but there's also some bad things. And I think as as as, as pioneers specifically of hip hop in an apologetics sort of format, we have every right to be concerned about some of what we're seeing. Uh, I think we need to refocus on uh, really Christ-centered, Messiah-centered music again and making it theologically sound regardless of what the world's doing. Because music is getting so stupid and specifically hip-hop is becoming so musically stupid, we can't follow them everywhere they go. You know what I mean? We have to put our foot down and have some degree of integrity as artists uh, at some point and, and, and really just... Um, put God as the supreme in our music mm-hmm. again. Nice. Amen. Well, and that kind of segues into what you wanted to talk about. Which right? we could do on the next segment. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> we're running out of time. Okay. So, we, Tony really wanted, and I'm really happy about this, Tony wanted to join with us in a discussion, a sustained discussion, which we've been having for years now, but specifically over the last couple of weeks, with the recent videos, undercover videos, um, about what takes place with Planned Parenthood selling uh, the body parts of the babies that they destroy. And uh, so that's what's been going on. We need to, as Christians, have a consistent, disciplined, sustained, righteous, gospel-saturated attack right now in this because we can. We can, by the grace of God, by the power of His Spirit, the proclamation of his word put this enemy under Jesus' feet, which is where it's going anyways, but it can happen in our generation, but it takes from us a sustained, disciplined, consistent heralding of the gospel in the context of murdering babies and selling their body pieces. All right, guys, stay so, with us. So what you're saying is Apologia Radio and abortion. Get used to it. That's right. We're gonna, <laughs> yes. We're going to transition Absolutely. like Bruce Jenner. Yes. That's a big transition. So we'll be right back, guys.
This is Jeff Durbin with Apologia Radio. Get us at ApologiaRadio.com. The profanation of marriage is gaining legs within our culture with the same-sex marriage debate. This is church, a gospel issue. We have to be salt. We must be light on this issue of same-sex marriage. This is Joy Tembe with Apologia Radio. I urge you guys to pray for the homosexual community. Then log on to realharmony.org to equip yourselves with the resources we've provided. This is the ministry bearer. Here's the issue. The same-sex attracted community has a symbol that's universally recognized. It's an equal sign. You see it everywhere. Until now, the Christian community has not had a symbol that represents true, harmonious, biblical marriage. Go to realharmony.org and buy a sticker. The three bucks a piece. Get your church to buy them by the truckloads. Help us redeem the culture. And let me reiterate, this is not a political issue only. This is a gospel issue. Realharmony.org. I was encouraged by the fact that Tony wanted to talk about the Planned Parenthood controversy, the exposure of their murderous deeds and acts. Um, It's encouraging to see somebody who is a well-known and respected artist that's willing to take a stand on the Word of God and take a stand uh, for the lives of these babies. So, Tony, I'll, I'll let you start this segment. Just, just give us a, give us what's in your heart. Yeah, I, I just want to say that the biggest travesty in this nation and the civil rights issue of our era, um, more than anything, more than police brutality, more than the Confederate flag, is the slaughter of innocent babies. At all, but all, but but being funded by American citizens' taxpayers' dollars um, at the hands of Planned Parenthood with government funds—that is the biggest travesty in our nation. And we as believers cannot be silent. We cannot sit by idly while this goes on. Um, my mother shared a video with me, and I don't know if you guys have seen this most recent one, where the undercover guy goes into a clinic and looks asks to look at the quote-unquote specimens mm-hmm. these babies and they have baby body parts laid out like like lunch meat on mm-hmm. a on a just chopped up using tweezers picking up an arm here a leg there and they're nonchalantly talking about these body parts like it's veal mm-hmm. and 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 rummaging through these body parts with tweezers made me sick to my stomach and the, I mean, obviously, these people need the gospel, right? We need to we need we need to give them the gospel, but at the same time, there should be a sense of righteous anger. I think it's fully biblical to want accountability, and I I just um, would admonish my brothers and sisters in the Lord to stand up for this, for the rights of these children to live, mm. their God given right. And and um, I don't know, it's 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 I've especially been burdened by the lack of of um, anger and outrage. Um, 
from a lot of Christian leaders and Christian artists on this issue. They kind of pick and choose which social issues I think are acceptable for them to address um, without being, you know, without without having events canceled and so forth. They're very careful. But we have to throw all caution to the wind and use reckless abandon in this regard. These yes. are human lives. Amen. And if you were a German at the time of, of, of Nazi Germany's um, reign of terror and you knew that they were throwing Jews in ovens and you did nothing or said nothing in, their, in the defense of those helpless Jews and gypsies and others who were being murdered, then blood was on your hands. Mm-hmm. So, and weren't they the charged with today. crimes too? Like, oh, what's that, bro? Well, weren't the, weren't the, the, the people uh, of Germany, they were forced to actually walk around and look at what they ignored. Well, they yeah. were forced to yeah. come in and, uh, in some cases, bury the bodies. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, the, the text from Scripture, Proverbs 24, uh, 11 through 12, very important text, uh, absolutely relevant to the slaughter of innocent babies in the womb. Uh, Proverbs 24, 11 through 12, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? That text you just received, that, there's accountability now with that text. The, the, the notion... That we can say as Christians, I didn't know God, I, right. I I didn't I couldn't do anything. That that is fallacious. We know what takes place here, and yes, we can do something about it. Apologia Church, many of you guys know, has been involved in this fight over the last two years directly at the places of killing, um, just throughout the week, Wednesdays and Saturdays, typically Planned Parenthood in Tempe and in Glendale and other locations. Over 40 babies saved that we know of. The gospel going out hundreds and hundreds of times. Um, that's by the grace of God. We don't take any. We don't have any boasting on our behalf. But God does act. But it takes the church going out with the means of the gospel to bring about change here. And it was Schaefer that said that over every abortion clinic in America, there needs to be a sign that says "by permission of the church." Right. That's. A powerful thing. It's very, very true. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, you are the salt, you are the light, you're the city on the hill. Salt preserves things from decay. Can you, I speak about that real please, quick? Please, please, please. Uh, the other day, somebody posted on Facebook this response to, I think it was actually Matt Walsh, posted this really elaborate uh, step-by-step plan for political action in regards to the senators who did not vote to defund Planned Parenthood. And a comment on that post was, this is ridiculous, we need to preach the gospel. And and I had to respond to that because we have the gospel. Preaching the gospel is for evangelistic purposes. But this is instructions to the church. Now yeah. that we have the gospel, do something. Right. And... and and so there's not a dichotomy between either doing political action or preaching the gospel. Yeah. It should be both and. Yep. And we should not uh, be false, false piety 
and say, well, what we really need to do is be preaching the gospel. We, we have the gospel. Mm-hmm. Now what? Well, here's what's important, too. This is a vitally important element that gets missed in our 21st century evangelical Western Christianity, that the gospel, the gospel contains truths that bring the gospel story together in a meaningful way. And so when we talk about the gospel, don't forget that the gospel is also the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel contains within it the information about Jesus as the king, as the Lord, as the ruler. And that, that's really important. Because, and why would that be relevant here? Because the gospel contains the story of Jesus as the ascended and seated king, the one who died and rose for sinners, yes, but he's the reigning ruler of the kings of the earth. And so what's important about that, why it becomes an issue in this case, is because what are we saying to the world where they're slaughtering babies? Is that Jesus is the king. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And his law word is, you shall not murder. So when we say, what's well, about preaching the gospel? Preaching the gospel. Right. That's why you take political action. Because Jesus is the king. What did the, the Christians or in the book of Acts get accused of? This was what they said. They say there's another king, Jesus. They're going clean contrary to the decrees of Caesar. And they say there's another king, Jesus. So interestingly, the early uh, first century environment, people understood that the Christians are saying that there's another king, Jesus, that he's ruler over Caesar. Where's that in our message? Right. Where's that in our message of the gospel? And we actually say to the political leaders of our day, obey the son or you'll perish. Mm. Right. In Ephesians 2, uh, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the purpose of the gospel is for the good works that God has prepared for us. Like that's, that's what the gospel allows us to do is to be involved in the world, in, the actu- in actual time and space, accomplishing his will. Yes. And so when we, when we sit there and say that the gospel is only this spiritual thing that does spiritual things, we, we separate ourselves from the world in such a way that abortion is allowed, homosexuality is allowed. Like, we have to be involved in the world. Can I, can I say something, too? Yeah. Yes. Um, in all candor, um, I think a lot of this talk of, let's just go preach the gospel, let's not bother ourselves with these things. Um, t- typically, people who say that aren't consistent. They do have their pet social justice issues that they yes. champion. A lot of it, I think, is cowardice. Yes. I'm just going to be yep. honest. A lot yeah, of it, right. we do not want to um, come across as radical. We do not want to be deemed as, uh, you know, as hate mongers, um, right wing fanatics. Um, I, I just had a discussion recently regarding, you know, uh, this very issue. Um, and, you know, that, that I think cowardice is, is a lot of times people try to spiritualize their cowardice and say, well, let's just pre- preach the gospel. But but in truly engaging the culture and putting your life on the line, putting your neck on the chopping block takes a degree of faith and, and boldness. And a lot of people, I think, and, and I'm not condemning, you know, the brother, I don't know his heart who said that, um, but I know that it does take a, a lot of boldness to speak out on this issue. And um, a lot of us just aren't willing. We're too comfortable. We're, we're unwilling to really put our lives on the line for this. But yeah. But, you know, like Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it and whoever seeks to save his life will will lose it yes so 
you know, uh, the message of the gospel um, explained by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, this is important, he actually describes in a full-orbed way the gospel. So it's not just about salvation and going to heaven one day, but he explains the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, and what he says is, it, actually descriptive of what Jesus talks about and all the Old Testament prophecies that we were talking about, he says in chapter 15 of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, in verse 25, well, starting to verse, starting verse 24, then those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when the Father, it says, when God, when comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. So when the Apostle Paul is explaining the gospel, he does it in a full-orbed way that actually reaches into the most popular verse quoted in the New Testament from the old Psalm 110.1 about the Messiah who's seated on his throne and God's putting his enemies under his feet. That's the good news proclamation that actually expands in 1 Corinthians 15 by the Apostle Paul, very reliable source. So when we think about abortion, we think about all these issues of injustice, and we think about sin in the world, all those things coming under Jesus' feet by the Apostle Paul. And God the Father has put everything in the subjection to Jesus, which means I get to go to an abortion clinic and declare the kingship of Jesus yeah. and the command to repent. Because as Paul says at the Areopagus in Mars Hill, he says, God overlooked this in the past, and he says, but now God commands men everywhere to repent. That is the message of the gospel. So the gospel is inherently political, quote unquote political, because it comes with the message of Jesus' authority and rule over all things in every single realm. So you can't say, well, let's just preach the gospel because that's, that's what we're doing in the area of abortion. And you have to, in some way as a Christian, stand up. Because and I think it, it, it speaks of, of, of an, it's important that we have a, a proper understanding of who Jesus is as king. Mm-hmm. Um, when, you, when you quoted that scripture, and in, in relation to abortion, I actually thought of a line that my brother wrote, um, where he said, David's descendant, who's mistaken as timid, makes his enemies a footstool as he cradles an infant. So it's this, like, it's this like dichotomy of he is the, the gentle Messiah cradling a baby, right? He has so much love for a child, but he makes his enemies a footstool. Yes. And, and in, a, in the West, we have this concept of the, the soft, loving. And that was the whole concept be, behind No, Not One, right? We have this concept of a soft, loving Messiah. But he's also um, a God of justice who puts his enemies under his feet. Yeah. And he is the king. And, and, and as emissaries of the king, it is, like you said, Jeff, incumbent upon us to declare his rule. Right. Yes, that's to right. To declare that. That's right. Amen. That's right. Okay, so, and they are, it's not a question of whether people are going to have a worldview, but which worldview. It's not a question of whether people are going to have a God or not, but which God. It's not a question of whether a law will be imposed, but which law, whose laws. It's not a question of whether somebody will be taking dominion, but who will be taking dominion. That's, th- those are all very important things, and they're all, it's a very true thing. There's no neutrality. Jesus is the king. You're not, he says you're either with me or you're against me. And the world is responding to the Planned Parenthood situation. They are spinning the propaganda. Here's an example of, uh, of Rebecca Watson, who, uh, uh, Marcus King Ginger, Yes, you've tried to get Rebecca on the show. One of my jobs as producer here at Apologia Radio 
This is to get people on the show. And she didn't respond. Okay. So okay. here's Rebecca Watson. <laughs> um, and um, she is talking about the Planned Parenthood situation. Uh, uh, there is, a, I think there's some cussing in this, but we can either bleep it out or just um, earmuffs. I will bleep it out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Planned Parenthood has been in the news a lot recently thanks to a maliciously edited video that makes it look like they're selling baby parts. Um. It wasn't maliciously edited. No. They, they actually gave the full content online. They chopped down hours of footage to the high points so everybody could see and then made the other parts available online for everybody to see. And if you want to see a maliciously edited video, you need to see the one that we did. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We'll show you maliciously yeah. edited. I know how to maliciously you edit a video. You need to see the one that we did where we interlaced... Um, Richards with Nazi propaganda footage and uh, to demonstrate the correlation between the propaganda of the of and, the Nazis and, and gave her a, a, a Hitler mustache. Yeah, that was maliciously edited yes. in a righteous kind of way. Baby parts. Uh, it's really hard for those of us with two brain cells to rub together to understand why this is even a thing. Because first of all, obviously, Planned Parenthood is not f- selling baby parts. You idiots. Well, what is it they're selling? <laughs> like, I mean, really, like, what is it they're selling? Because it looks like hands and feet, and they say mm-hmm. they're hearts and livers. Yeah. So. Well, here, here's, here's, what's ama- I mean, here's what's amazing. This is important. Um, that this video came out uh, prior to even the fifth video, where they actually are in the Planned Parenthood, um, and they're, they're sifting through this little dish where they're pulling up the arms and everything else of this little baby. I think it was a boy um, inside this little dish. And so what we need to do, Marcus, possibly, is we need to take this video and we need to go ahead and splice together some of the footage from the undercover videos. And when she says they're not selling effing baby parts, you idiot, we need to just load it up with the actual visuals of the baby parts. Exactly. I'd have it looping her yes. saying that. Yes. And uh, yeah. that. Yes. Right. What we'll yeah. do is we'll just take this segment of the radio yep. and what we'll, we play with her and we'll put the video up on on YouTube with us elaborating on yeah, it. Right yeah. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. okay, here we go. A little more. Even if they were selling baby parts, 3% of all of Planned Parenthood's activities are related to abortions. And of all the abortions they do, about 90% of them happen around the first trimester. So Yo, Sleazy. This. Hey, Sleazy, this. are you yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. Sleazy? Yeah. Hey, look, it's 3%. Sleazy. Keep it under three. As long as it's under keep three. It, Marcus, keep it under three is all I'm saying. We can murder people. As hey, long- Marcus is in under three. Okay, Sleazy Richards. Then Sleazy okay, agrees. You. All right, okay. okay. <laughs> under three, Sleazy. Okay. What do you not understand <laughs> about this? All right, Sleazy. I don't know why you're back here again. But so, do you uh, have a home? Do you have a home? He, he lives under the table. <laughs> yeah, so so, so it, well, it isn't amazing, the, the cover that she provides for herself. They're not effing selling baby parts, you idiots. But even if they were, it's only 3%. It's but but again, remember that the tally that Planned Parenthood finesses to get this looking good for the public is is very important to remember that they count every single service that you get from them in the total tally of how many abortions they actually uh, do. And so, if you get an STD exam in the process of uh, doing a pregnancy test in the process of any counseling. 
or any uh, contraceptives for the future. All those things count the tally, which means that every person that's going in there for an abortion is getting a, a lot more services that count to lower the number a bit to make it look like it's just a little bit of murder. And here's the point. If it was one baby that you dismembered, then guess what? You deserve the judgment of God Mm -hmm. upon your organization, and you are worthy of our entire effort, our entire lives to shut you down. You murder one child as a church, we're in. We're committed. You know what else they don't include in those numbers? What? The mothers that are losing babies that they want to keep and they send away. Yeah, that's right. And, um, yeah, and Planned Parenthood just does not have the time for you. Right. If if you want to keep your baby. Mm-hmm. Years ago, I think I've told the story before, but any new listeners, I think this would be helpful here. Um, years ago, w- my, my wife and I had a baby very young, Sage, my oldest. He's uh, 16 now. Um, but we didn't know. I was just very ignorant at the time, didn't know. And we had to like 3 o'clock that day to get in some papers for our insurance. We needed to get it a confirmed pregnancy test from like a doctor's facility. So we just opened up a phone book. Google wasn't available at the time. We opened up a phone book, and we just found the first place. It was Planned Parenthood. I didn't know. I wasn't thinking about it. I didn't even understand. We go to Planned Parenthood. We do the pregnancy test. And let me tell you something. I will never forget it. We were in Planned Parenthood, and Planned Parenthood, when we got the confirmation, we're, like, excited. We're like, oh, this is so awesome. Thank God for this baby. It's amazing. And next thing you know, this woman is talking to my wife, trying to get her to sit down with them with a counselor about the abortion. And we were like, what? What? what abortion no and she's like no we you're too young you have your life ahead of you and she's ignoring me trying to talk to my wife we need to sit down with you and we were like are you no abortion we're here to get the test no and they had no time for us after that but they continued to call my wife at our house throughout that week we had to eventually tell them do not ever call us again because they wanted us to come in to do the abortion they would not accept the fact that we as young people wanted to keep this baby. They were like, no, this is not good for you. You need to go ahead and have this abortion. You have your whole lives ahead of you. That's what Planned Parenthood does. They're called Planned Parenthood. Yes. <laughs> That's what, what they do. What in the do. world? That's what they do. And what's important here to talk about in the, in, the, in the whole context of our efforts as Christians in this arena is, look, the community of unbelievers is talking about this. They're spinning it. They're trying to put out the propaganda. They're doing it. If we don't start contributing to this discussion, then they're having the conversation and we're not. Well, that's how they convinced people that 3% murder is okay. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> because they spin their propaganda. Right. That's, how they, that's how that happened. And let me just, just say this. There's nothing wrong with propaganda. As yeah. long as it's the artist? righteous, as long as it's righteous propaganda, <laughs> righteous propaganda. That's right. It's just amazing to me that people who can ascribe to a morally relativistic worldview can be so sanctimonious and self righteous, right? Yeah. Like, like the, the tone that they that they speak with, right? It's like it, it's it's like this. It, they're worse than the people they accuse of being self righteous. I, I just I don't understand how an atheist can be so morally self righteous about. A morality that doesn't exist. Like, where do they where do they get their their ideas from? Uh, Every, yeah. What do they base them on? Every but that's time, a whole other topic. Yeah. But it, uh, that that tone that she speaks with is that like annoying atheist. And I, I wish her the, the the grace of God. You know, I, I I pray that she gets saved and and you know that she finds salvation. But that that annoying tone it almost like sends 
like chills up my spine. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. It's good. And, and, and it's, it's important. And, and, and I, of course, as a given, we pray the, the grace of God that found us finds her. But we still get to talk about mm-hmm. the fact that this is just wicked stuff and, you know, she needs the gospel and she needs to repent and everything else. Again, and we're talking again. about real babies. We're talking about like, you know, today, Planned Parenthood will kill almost a thousand little children. You listen, here's the honest to God truth. There's no way for us to actually think through that. We just can't. We can't. When you think about uh, 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 the story in the news about some mom that murders her six-year-old child, like that hits the news and it's on the news for like six months. People are following the case. And like, oh, I can't believe this wretched woman would do this. Or the woman that took her kids and she ran them into a, a river to drown them. Or she took her children and she drowned each one one by one. That was on the news for like years. I mean, there's st- I saw a news story last week reporting on the woman who killed her children one after the other by drowning them in a bathtub. This was like almost 10 years ago, I think it was. A new report on it because it's such a horrendous thing for a mother to take the life of her own children. And of course, Christ will wash that away. But it's interesting, today, today, Planned Parenthood will kill a thousand little babies Mm -hmm. in a horrific way by ripping them to pieces. And yes, Planned Parenthood does make money on the sale of their body parts. It is a fact. You can't deny it. They actually exchange body parts for cash. They kill the babies and they sell their body parts. That's what actually happens. And they pay for the waste to be burned in incinerators. Yep. And yep. it's it's uh, and to think that mothers are complicit in this. We can't mince words. And and. And when we call people to repentance, we can't water down the severity of sin, right? Yes. These mothers are murdering their babies. Yes. There's, there's no other way around it. Yes. I, I, made a, um, I had a, tw- a Twitter discussion recently with a brother who is a believer but was arguing, you know, this whole social justice context. Well, you can't just oppose abortion. You have to deal with the underlying reasons that these mothers are. And that's just nonsense. There's no good reason on the earth. You know, there are animals that will, that will protect their, their, their babies at all mm. costs. There's no good reason on the earth that any mother would lay down, lay their child on an altar and slaughter it. Yes. Um, there's no good reason. So we can't mince words. We have to be very honest. Yeah. And we have to call people to repent. That's yeah. the gospel. Repent yeah. and believe. Yeah. And can I say this? Joy, Luke, don't you guys step in here for a second? But can I, can I encourage us humbly, because I'm not perfect and I don't have every answer I want to look to God's word for all the answers, but can I, can I encourage us all to think about something in terms of confronting the issue of sin? Think back to your conversion as a Christian. Think back to your conversion. Remember when you turned to Christ and you put your faith in him? What were you aware of when you were turning to Christ? You must have been aware of and convicted of and broken over your sin. So watch this. If you think back to your conversion, it was your sin It was your sin that you were turning from and you felt guilty, you felt full of shame and you turned and you embraced Christ, you found yourself in him and his righteousness and you experienced peace because you recognized your own sin. What makes us think with that background in our own lives that we are now going to convince others to turn to Christ by not having the same exposure of sin in their own lives? They need to have the same experience that you and I had, mm-hmm. and that only happened because you recognized your own sin. It doesn't happen in a different way for somebody else. So pretending like 
It's just about being nice and friendly and, and, and tiptoeing around the issue of sin. And that's how they're going to be converted. That's not the way that you are converted. And watch this. Let me just say it boldly. If you were, quote unquote, converted in that way, where it wasn't about your sin and you didn't feel guilty and shame about it, then you're not converted. Mm-hmm. Amen. And that's what's important here is that we think as evangelicals in the West today that we're going to actually lead people into the kingdom of Christ with their sin in their hands. And it doesn't take place. Paul says those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if they don't inherit it, it means you need to tell them about the sin so that they can abandon it and they can enter into God's kingdom with peace and forgiveness clothed in Christ's righteousness. Called non-lordship salvation. Yeah, it's important. Not possible. Not possible. It's a non-salvation. That's right. Joy? Um, I mean, where do you even begin? Um, well, I guess... Okay, so... Um, my my brain is kind of stuck on this verse because I read it in the uh, in the bio of uh, Tony's group, <laughs> and it's a uh, Second Timothy four, and it talks about it's a it's a direct reference to when people are like basically uh, amassing teachers to sort of agree with what they want and you know just to, to suit their own needs or uh, passions, as the Bible actually calls it. Uh, but right before that, it talks about, um, well, actually, I can just read it here. It says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So um, what I read there initially is just preach the word, not just the gospel. Mm. But the word says that you shouldn't murder, and the word says, mm. Proverbs 24, yep. that you should hold back. People yes. from the slaughter. Yes. Um. So it's not. So it's an oversimplification, and I think it's because of cowardice, like you said, Tony, yep. that people just simplify it that way and say, like, oh, well, you should just be preaching the gospel because a part of the gospel is that if you're a murderer, you should stop murdering and you should repent of that. Yes. Um. Yes. And the word rebuke is just right in there. Yes. So that I mean, mm. you just can't get around it. Mm-hmm. You can't get around maybe sounding a little bit harsh because that's just the reality of sin is that it's harsh and it's it's ugly and visceral in some cases and that just has to be how we confront it and i'm i mean i that's how i was confronted with my sin and it's ugly that's just that's what it is and and thank god that he's holy (laughs) and i don't have to be ugly (laughs) yes that's awesome I mean, anything that would anything that would require the divine Son of God, the glorious Word, to have to take on human form, to lower Himself, to put aside um, His rightful place right on the throne, to to lay that aside and take on human form, and then suffer uh, the penalty of our sin, has to be a, a a a big deal. It can't be minimized, right? That's right. So, I mean, without understanding the seriousness of sin, the gospel makes no sense. So, I I want to I want to just. Thank you, uh, Jeff, and your ministry, um, and, and the videos I've seen of your evangelistic outreaches that you that you uh, present a biblical case, you know, of of sin and atonement, and that's that's needed, especially with this in relation to this issue. People need to know that they can be forgiven, but they also need to know the severity of, of what's being done here. Well, praise God, man, and I'm blessed by you too, big time. We're gonna have you on like a bunch more. Yeah, you you nice. were you were great to have as as a guest. We got a lot. We got a lot of really great stuff on this episode. Don't you think, Pitman? 
think it's awesome. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So uh, so that, that wraps up another show of Apologia Radio. I encourage you guys to go to ApologiaRadio.com. And if you haven't done so yet, um, or even if you've done it before, do it again. Grab an episode, share it on your Twitter, your Facebook, your Google+, your whatevs. Get an episode. Is that the newest social media? That's what right. Whatevs. whatevs. Get it out. <laughs> share it. And, uh, sign up for all access. Sign up for all access at ApologiaRadio.com. Get the appy. Apologia Church on iTunes and on Google Play. Let your friends know. And let me just say this. If your church doesn't have a ministry to abortion mills, pray about it. Start talking to your pastors about it. Figure out where they're at in your area. Um, Check out the episodes we've done on abortion at ApologiaRadio.com. Look at the one we just did with, um, uh, with Rebecca and with Sherry. Um, show that show that TV episode to your pastors where you can see the fruit of twin girls saved from death at Planned Parenthood in Tempe. Um, then start these ministries. Uh, not everyone's called to stand out there necessarily and preach, but everyone can participate. And I, I'm, I'm sure of this. God will raise up people in your church to confront this issue and to bring the gospel to these places and to save babies. I, I, I'm fully confident in that. But it takes that step forward to go ahead and start it. Um, I know of, at this point, um, at least over 20 ministries that have started across the nation as a result of listening to this show, to abortion mills. It's happening all the time. There's been babies saved. You can do this. In the strength of God and by His grace, you can do it. But you got to take that step of faith and you got to care enough about others and lay your life down for the sake of others and the lost. Tony from Hazakim, thank you so much, brother. Where can people go to get your stuff? Yes, go to lampmode.com. You can find us on Amazon, iTunes, uh, Theophanies. You can find it also through uh, Barnes & Noble. And you can find us online, too, at, uh, at twitter.com slash Hazakim, um, Facebook, Hazakim Music, Instagram, Hazakim. That's H-A-Z-A-K-I-M. And Hazakim.com as well for more information. Sweet. That's the bear. Peace out, y'all. The girl. Yeah. I'm the ninja. That's the king over there, King Ginger. Huh. Thanks, guys. Catch you next time. We broke up, sin brains a cap, and it has to get closed up. He can't just let us off the hook, man. He shows us. His forgiveness is high to him who died and rose up. His love is so great. He gave us son to save us. A free gift offered if you come and trust the one who changed.